You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Clifton Corbin, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Growing up, I thought money was complicated, a mystery. I knew how to make money. All I had to do was do what my parents did. Learn a profession, work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday with occasional weekends, and live the good life. This all made sense until I actually started to accumulate wealth. As my bank accounts grew, I found myself befuddled. How do I invest, start a business, have my excess cash work for me? The answers to these questions seemed opaque, so much so that I hired a financial advisor and handed all the reins over to him. It was only years later when I discovered financial independence and started to study the process of making and investing money that I realized that it was all way less complicated than I thought. Well, my guest today teaches something I didn't know all those years ago. Even young children can learn the basics of wealth building. In fact, he dusted off an almost century-old series of parables to prove it. Clifton Corbin's mission is to give you the tools and skills you need to ensure your children are financially literate and ready to manage in a world where the use of money is constant. He's the author of Your Kids, Their Money, as well as The Richest Man in Babylon, Revised for Modern Times. Clifton Corbin, welcome to Earn and Invest. I want to start with a little bit of a touchy question here. Do most parents do a good job of teaching their kids about money? Oh, that's an interesting question. Thank you so much for having me. Let me say that first before I jump into it. I think it's it runs the spectrum, right? Like some parents are focused on it. I think, you know, if you've been in my shoes where you've had some financial troubles and you've recognized the need to focus on it, it might be more top of mind. Uh, but I think, again, for some reason, money's still a very taboo subject in our in our culture and our society. So it's not always the easiest thing for adults just to talk about uh, amongst each other or amongst their children. So how well they, do they do? Adequate. Uh, so that kind of gets back to my story and that like I started off and I'm, I, you know, I heard your intro there. I was similar. Like I was, I was pretty keen uh, youngster with it when it came to money, and I knew how to earn money. But with regards to learning the rest of financial literacy, that's kind of where my education stopped. Earning, saving, and that was it. I didn't know about financial independence. I didn't know about wealth building. I didn't understand about uh, insurance or taxation or any of these other pieces that you know fit that financial literacy puzzle. So I think parents. You know, the last thing I'm going to do here is, is uh, you know, put parents down. Like, we've got a hard job as is. 
but I think they're doing as as good a job as they can. Uh, my job, my role, what I try to do is provide more support so they can do even better. I think in some ways you said our stories are similar. Coming from fairly successful parents, they modeled really good financial behavior. On the other hand, they didn't explicitly teach me about money either. Tell me about your upbringing. Did your parents teach you about how to deal with money? So I, like I said, I think it was similar in that uh, my parents, uh, both immigrants, came here with very little uh, and worked hard, became fairly successful, middle class, whatever. And they demonstrated what it was to, you know, work hard and earn. And uh, they kind of did the leveling up with homes. So they had the starter home and then they sold that to get the next home that was a duplex and had rental income and then they leveled up again. So I was able to see that. Uh, and one thing that I, I'm always grateful for is that because I was so money curious as a youngster, they were always very transparent and open to talk to me and answer any of my questions. The challenge was that the questions never went past what I asked. So if I was asking, how do I make more money? They would say, well, maybe you start a business and we you know, work through how you start a business or all of those, those fun pieces. But it never, it never went past the earning. Like I said, it always stopped at earning or saving. So we didn't get into it. So Yes, we they did teach me about making money. And yes, they did teach me about the value of saving money, but not the why behind why you want to save money, whether it be for an emergency or to build wealth or for financial independence. We didn't get to that. Um, and then, like I said, all the other pieces that come with building wealth and securing wealth and acquiring wealth, it, the conversation just didn't get there, uh, which is why I've decided to try to help other parents who are lucky enough to have kids and curiosity and all of the rest. I want them to take advantage of that and say, hey, if your child is asking you about one of these things, make sure you do a yes and kind of response. So you're kind of always giving them a little bit more and pushing them a little bit more. One thing you, we see all the time is our kids have a, an amazing capacity to learn and understand. Uh, but if we're not giving them all of the information, then we're, we're not leveraging that, that wonderful gift of curiosity that they already have. I want to get back to that amazing ability to understand that kids have. But before I do, a few moments ago, you said the magical phrase, you fell on hard financial times. Obviously, you had this curiosity about money as a kid, but it didn't protect you. What happened? Yeah. So my story is, like I said, I was pretty keen on earning. I was, I was good there. I was okay with saving. I was good there. Uh, I went off to university, got those first credit cards. Uh, you had the mentality that credit cards are there for an emergency, which I kind of lived for a little while until I didn't. And then credit cards were there because it felt like free money. Uh, and I used them almost as free money. I was not diligent at paying my bills back to the point where I just wasn't paying my bills back. Uh, and then it just it kind of spiraled out of control from there. I was doing cash advances from one credit card to pay the minimum balance on another credit card. And I'm sure all your listeners could probably fathom what happened after that. Went <laughs> The credit cards got canceled and cut off on me. Went to collections, so I, I made a I, like I I I made a total mess of my finances. Like I didn't have any candle on what I was doing with regards to debt, and I make sure that when I talk about debt, I let folks know. Well, one, there's that side of it when you're just using it for commercial consumer stuff, and it's not very valuable. But you could also like at the same time, I was in university uh, college at the time. And I had uh, student loans. I was using some debt, leveraging some debt to you know further my education and make myself more employable and gain some some usable skills. So I was doing both the good and the bad with my debt. But 
fast forward a little bit, it took me a while to get out of that. You know, the debt collectors calling me, I had all of the stress and anxiety and depression that comes with having, you know, a heavy debt load. So I finished my first degree with the tech bubble bursting and I finished my second degree with the housing bubble bursting. So I've promised everyone that I'm not going back to school just to keep the economy stable for a little bit longer. Uh, all that to say that it took me a while to get my finances back in order, but in doing so, it helped me spend the time that I needed to, to understand how the system works, to understand that, yes, you can use debt, but you can leverage it to gain wealth. You know, earning is great, but if you're not doing what you need to do to build wealth and secure your wealth, then you're not really moving forward. So I was able to learn all those basic principles. One of the books, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about it, one of the books I used at the time was The Richest Man in Babylon uh, to kind of give me a, a path forward. Uh, I talk often about how, you know, I had a couple credit cards that were were in collections and I started paying one off. I paid the whole thing off and it was it was a long and hard road to get it all paid off, but I paid it all off and I was I, I didn't feel like I was moving ahead because I paid it all off. And I still remember, I remember thinking, man, I still don't have enough money to go buy myself a slice of pizza right now. So I just worked for however many months, put all this money towards my debt, but I still hadn't started the the path of wealth creation. So that was one of those changes that I made when I started paying off my future debts. And that's kind of, and like I said, I started living some of these principles of wealth creation and and seeking financial independence and and taking advantage of all the different parts of financial literacy to get myself on a better footing and feel a little bit more confident about my finances and just feel like I'm I'm actually in control of my money as opposed to the other way around where my money's controlling me. Did the book help form your turning point? So we're talking about The Richest Man in Babylon, George Klassen's classic book, uh, personal finance book. Was that part of that turnaround? Because I'm always wondered how people go from rock bottom, right? In total debt, using one credit card to pay off the other, taking loans, et cetera. There's some people who never recover from that. You clearly did. What was that turnaround? Uh, there was a few things. So I mentioned I was in school. Um, I was, I was just, it was, it wasn't so much the book itself. It was a, a combination of things. It was um, maturing, just, I was getting older. I recognized the path I was on wasn't the path that I wanted to be on. I mentioned earlier, I was a very money curious child and knowing that I'm now about to finish uh, school in debt in a pretty tumultuous economic time. I was a computer, I was a computer engineering graduate. So the tech bubble bursting was a big it hit me hard in that I was like, I thought I was going to finish with maybe signing bonus and all of this would just be, it would solve itself. And then I realized, no, that's not the way it's going to go. I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm the one who's going to have to make changes. So I, you know, I doubled down on my studies, made sure that was okay. And then I, once I finished, I got a job. It wasn't the best job. It wasn't the job I was hoping for, but it was a job that provided me an income. And I doubled down on that. So the turning point was, it was really a maturing in myself and just saying, this isn't the path I want to be on. This isn't the life I want to live. I need to make changes. So, you know, changing my lifestyle, changing my mindset to, it's not about consumption anymore. It's really about trying to find a way to grow some wealth because that, that was what I realized I was, I was missing. I was spending, I was consuming, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't building anything. I wasn't growing. The book provided a roadmap, uh, which was wonderful. It's one of the things that I, I really attribute to giving me a path forward, recognizing that if you're just using all of your money to what, whether it's paying bills or paying back debt, you still will not move forward. You'd need to find a way to build wealth and live off of less than what you're making. And it's only that combination of, of factors 
will get you to the next step. And then ideally, you're getting your money to work for you with investing and what have you. At the time, I was more just focused on how do I make sure that once my next debt is paid off, I have something in the bank, which was when the next debt was paid off and I did have a little bit of a nest egg. It wasn't a lot, but it was something. It did feel like I was moving forward. It was much better to know that, you know, I'm a little bit more debt free <laughs> and I have money to to show for it as well. The combination is what gives you that that feeling of, you know, you could drop your shoulders down a little bit, a little bit less stress knowing that if you need to go and, you know, get new tires for your car or whatever, you have some cash there available instead of hoping that a credit card is going to bail you out. You mentioned this idea of maturing, right? There, there's a certain amount of life lived that we have to have before we can start taking control of things like our money. You teach parents how to educate their children on personal finance and their finances. How do we know when the kids are mature enough? Like, When is the time to start and how do we instill some of these ideas so that they don't have to go through the same painful mistakes that some of us had to? Well, my if i was going to boil down what i'm trying to do it's making sure that our children are aware of basically the financial system making sure that they understand what money is how money is used why we try to get money it's not just to consume more like i said it's about building wealth and hopefully seeking some financial independence and from financial security and some financial wellness and to do that we just need to be open and willing to talk to our kids about money if we're not talking to them about money how we get it how we use it how they will use it, then they they may still end up stumbling and, and making some missteps along the way, but at least they'll know what they should be doing. Hopefully they could just, you know, go like you said, lived experience sometimes is a better educator than any one person could be. But if they know that living off of less than what you make will get them ahead, maybe they will do it. And if they do it, then you know they'll they'll start off a little further ahead than let's say I did. But as far as like how old and when as soon as they start recognizing that money is something that we're using to trade for services and goods, I think that's a perfect time to start. Like, in the, you know, you're not going to talk to uh, a toddler or a four-year-old about, uh, you know, taxation or inflation or anything like that, but you could start with, you know, early money identification. And then you go from there. After that, maybe they're old enough to start managing some money on their own. And maybe you do an allowance or some way that they can start managing their own money. And then you keep growing and building off that. Hopefully, before they're off on their own, uh, they had an opportunity to have a budget that they're managing. Uh, again, as a as a, let's say a teenager, uh, late teens, if they're managing their own clothing budget or lunch budget or back to school budget, it's again giving them opportunities to practice using the skills that we're talking about. But they're doing it in a safe way where you're there to coach and advise them, which is one of those things that you know. I still marvel at the fact that I was able to go off, uh, you know, into the, into my college years, get thousands of dollars worth of student loans and debt. And no one really talked to me about what a credit score is, what a, what a credit report is, what will happen if you're not managing credit. What are the repercussions of having a lower or high credit score? Like, I didn't know any of that until my credit score was already bottomed out, which is, that's a miss, right? Like, if we're not at least giving our children the opportunity to understand what they're about to do and what the repercussions of what they're about to do will be on their future, again, if you're talking to a child about retirement, it's probably going to fall on deaf ears, but you could still say, hey, one day you may want to have a car. Right. If you want to buy this car, you want to buy it at the cheapest price. And if you have to finance it, this is what happens if you're not paying back your bills. This is what happens if you 
have an established credit. This is what happens if you establish credit, but then you you blow you blow right through it. So you can talk to them about what makes sense for them. You know, yours have to make it age appropriate, and you know, you have to talk. You have to go to where they are, but by giving them this information at an early age, we're just, we're setting them up for success. Is what we're doing. We're giving them a sample of what the world is in a safe environment. Uh, and again, maybe they still make some mis- missteps along the way, but at least they have the information to make an informed choice. And if they make the wrong choice, that's okay. There's always a way to get back to it, but hopefully they can even get back to it quicker without having to fumble through the way I might have. I love this idea of meeting them where they are. I want to use that as a chance to transition to the richest man in Babylon. You revise this along with your son for mm-hmm. modern times. When did you first read the book to your children? How old were they? Okay. So I tried reading this book to my son, I think it was last year, because I only recently revised it. So I tried reading it to him last year. We'd run out of books on his bookshelf to read. Uh, and I was like, this is one of my favorite books. I know it's not meant for children, but it's PG. It's very, like, it's, in my opinion, like, the concepts are easy to understand. And it's written in a very fun, short story type way. I was like, I'll read it to him. And I think it was like the first page or two, like his eyes just glazed over. And I could <laughs> tell he didn't understand a thing I was saying. And I was like, I've read, I've never read the book, I don't know, dozens of times at this point. And I'm like, this book was not written for, uh, a modern audience. It just, it, it, it wasn't. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is like every object, every character is pretty much a male character. And I was like, it'd be nice to have a little bit more diversity and representation, at least with the genders. So, um, I was, I, I realized that the book had, you know, fallen into the public domain. And I said to, I said to my son, I was like, do you are you interested in in working on revising this with me because i realized right away as soon as i realized that i that it had gone into the public domain i was like i need to do an an updated version of this and then i thought like how do i make sure that it is actually something that he will understand um once i'm done and i was like the best way would be to work on it with him so i'd read a couple lines uh to him and if he didn't understand what i was saying i'd revise it i'd work on it and I'd read it back. And as soon as he, you know, as soon as the light bulb went off on his face, I was like, okay, that stays. Uh, and we went, you know, bit by bit through the book. And uh, I think the final product is, is uh, it's wonderful. How old was he when you went through this process? Uh, he would have been about nine, nine years old. And tell me, how did it affect him? So you're going through line by line. So this is really clicking with him, right? Because you're breaking it down. You're changing mm-hmm. what needs to be changed so that it'd be revised so that he could understand it. Did you start seeing the light bulb go off in his head as you were going through this process? I feel like the answer should be yes, but I'd be lying. Like it was. <laughs> so my son, he's similar to how I was. He was he's also very, you know, money curious and motivated by getting more money. So the project was easy to work on with him. If I tried doing this with my daughter, she would just be like, I don't care. Uh, and she's a couple of years younger, but she just has different interests than him. So he was a perfect test subject for it. Some of the concepts he got, and if I, you know, if we chat about it now, he still gets it. Um, but one of the things, even though I went line by line and a lot of the stuff, you know, you hear more than one time, even in the story, they're still kids, right? So you have to, none of what I'm saying is a single conversation that you'll have with a child or a grandchild. And you can just assume, okay, they understand this. I can move on to the next subject. You're constantly bringing it up using different references, different examples, different perspectives, and building off of what they may understand. So it's a 
continuous learning exercise where you're constantly trying to give them more information and you're going back and making sure they caught they caught the first bit and you're just kind of like that's how kids learn they don't we don't i don't i say that's how kids learn that's how we all learn right Mm -hmm. like (laughs) hearing something once maybe it clicks but likely it doesn't hearing it a few times yeah and the more you hear it and the more you get a chance to actually experience it and live it so it will be harder for him to, you know, pay himself first uh, in that he only has so much money in his uh, in his allowance. But some of these other uh, some of these other uh, stories and some of these other habits he has learned, he is getting um, and he does understand. There's been times where I'm like, OK, he gets that. I remember there was a couple couple months ago we brought home some strawberries and I, th- I think we we're talking about the price of strawberries. And they were, it was, it was high, obviously inflation's still pretty high right now. And I remember talking to him about, well, why do you think these strawberries are so high? And he walked through the supply demand curve, like he had just graduated wow. econ 101. And I, man, I wish I had it on video because it, it made me so proud just knowing that he, you know, he does, he gets it. He's got, that one is down. That one is embedded. He gets that. And other things are, you know, work in progress, but he's getting it. And the reason he gets it, the reason he understands it is because it's something we talk about. It's something that is normalized within our household. It's not a, a, you know, a a subject that's outside of the realm of something we talk about on a regular basis. And I think that's the, that's the key is that I'm not, I don't feel like I'm forcing the subject on any of my children. It's just when an opportunity arises, like, you know, my wife coming home with strawberries and saying, wow, these were a lot more than I was expecting them to be. And then me talking to my son saying, well, why do you think they were so expensive? And and then that could, you know, spun other conversations of, well, do we need strawberries? Could we replace that with blueberries or so, you know, we could have a needs versus wants conversations or a substitution conversation. So it, it could just, it can go anywhere and everywhere, but the the beauty is that everything is on the table. There's nothing that we are not willing to, you know, discuss and have a conversation about. And like I said, my son, I, I use my son a lot more in these examples just because he is so money curious, but my daughter's right there and we're talking with her as well. And she's, like I said, she's not as, she's not as motivated by money, which is great. I, I think having that dichotomy in the household really is a wonderful thing just to say, you know, it's not all about just getting more money. They're both very kind-hearted and they're always looking for ways to give back and help and be charitable um but it's nice just having both of them there so that the conversation is very very fluid because she'll throw in something that would be totally different than what he's thinking about just because their their perspectives are different so george classen wrote this book almost 100 years ago right 1926 and the parables the stories in this classic are about babylon so we're talking about thousands and thousands of years ago how relevant are these stories today? I'm thinking about your conversation about credit cards and college debt and all these things that clearly didn't exist then. Are they still relevant? 100%. 100%. So the stories that were written were one they were they were just they were just so I don't know, Clayson was a, a genius in my mind. Um they were written in a way that just makes that just brings everything down to a simple simple lesson like I already used the term pay yourself first, and I believe it was Clayson who who coined that phrase. The idea of making sure that the first person who receives any of your money, regardless of what bills you have, whether it's a credit card bill or whether you're hoping to buy some cryptocurrency or whatever it is, make sure that whatever money you acquire, part of it is yours. 
before you pay any bills, before you do anything. That is an essential skill if you want to build wealth, if you want to make sure that you're not living beyond your means, if you want, like, it's it, it's a simple concept, it's an old concept, but it's very much a relevant concept. And the book is full with other other pieces like that with regards to making sure that, you know, you're you're paying off your debt and how you can pay off your debt and what you can do to make sure your debts are repaid. There's there's so many in there that I'm 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 like I want to say all of them right now. I'm just excited. So I'm just so excited about the book. But there's just lots of little pieces in there. The I think the funny thing is the one thing that I felt like he kind of stumbled on was the insurance piece. Like he wanted to talk more about insurance. And again, if you're talking about Babylon, like it doesn't, there's no insurance in Babylon. Um, So that was, he had one chapter there about insurance. And I, I, it was one of the chapters I always thought was my, it was my least favorite. So I just totally rewrote that one. Um, But yeah, the concepts still, they still, they still play. They're still very much relevant. I mean, and this also begs this question of we tend to, and I talked about this in my introduction, we tend to make money management really complicated. And yet I'm looking at these parables from thousands and thousands of years ago, written by this guy a hundred years ago. And it makes me think about both the simplicity and the timelessness of financial advice. I mean, is it that straightforward that it that 5,000 years later, or at least a hundred years later, we can give the same advice that they were giving back then? Yeah. And first, I just want to clarify, I'm pretty sure Clayson's book is it's it's fictional. So they're not true necessarily stories from, you know, thousands of years ago, but they were placed then. And if they were, if they were to have occurred, then I think it would still work. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we've overcomplicated what we need to do. And, you know, I mentioned, let's say crypto or what have you. I say it often, especially when I'm talking to to parents who, you know, they've they're already overwhelmed with the amount of things that need to happen, whether it be, you know, getting food on the table, getting to work, getting kids to extracurricular. There's just there's so many things. And now you're saying, hey, how about you learn this new financial uh device that doesn't it's not necessary. It's it's all extra yes you can learn more you can do more you can use this you know investment instrument versus that one you can do as much you can make it as complicated as you want or you can simplify it by making sure you're making less than you make uh making sure you take what you're not uh using and you're saving that for a rainy day and then once you've got your rainy day fund secured you're making sure that your money is working to make more money and that's just that's that's where Clayson said in The Richest Man in Babylon, that still applies to today. How you do it, whether you're using, you know, three envelopes or automatic transfers or, you know, you need a budget app or the Mint app or this app or that app or this bank account or credit unions or, uh, you know, online bank accounts. Again, we can go up and down and those are just different tactics. Those are just different tactics to do the simple things that I just mentioned. You need to make sure you're earning something. You need to make sure you're living off of less than you earn. And then ideally you make sure that the money that you're not using is making more money. And that it, it doesn't get much more simpler than that. Um, but again, those tactics, all those different things that I mentioned, they're just that they're just different ways to do the simple.
Clifton Corbin's mission is to give you the tools and skills you need to ensure that your children are financially literate. He is the author of Your Kids, Their Money, as well as The Richest Man in Babylon, Revised for Modern Times. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I have a confession to make. Money has been stressful to us lately. Look, we are in the midst of a house remodel. We are sending our first kid to college, and everything I thought I knew about budgeting has been out the window. The main savior for us has been Monarch Money. We started using Monarch Money about three months ago. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about our finances and our budget has changed, but we love Monarch Money because it's collaborative. We can both look at this together as well as share it with other people like a financial advisor if we want to. It's really aspirational. We can put information in there about, for instance, our kids' college education or about our remodel. And we can see where we need to go and where we are going. This is the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I love about Monarch Money is it's intuitive. It's really easy to sign on and connect all your bank accounts and credit cards. As we said, it's collaborative. It's also customizable. Like We were able to build in exactly what we wanted to do with our kids' college education as well as our home remodel. This is an app that is customer-focused. Really, Monarch Money is looking to make this app useful to you and me and all of us who are aspirational about our money. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners to the show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Clifton Corbin. His mission is to give you the tools and skills you need to ensure your children are financially literate and ready to manage in a world where the use of money is constant. He is the author of Your Kids, Their Money, as well as The Richest Man in Babylon, Revised for Modern Times. Clifton, you mentioned a little bit ago this idea that one of the chapters you didn't connect with as much personally was the insurance chapter. Tell me, is there anything that 
Clayson got wrong. Anything that you feel doesn't really fit in today's society as you read through the stories? Great question. I would have to say the only one that was kind of irksome is the one about your home in that I believe like in so in the richest man in Babylon, you know, he says, make sure your home is a, a profitable investment, which I don't disagree with. Um, I just know that there's a lot more to that. It's one of those, I think that was one of those few chapters where I was like, it's almost too simple to say, make your home your an investment because it might not make sense. Uh, we could throw thousands of dollars into a home and it might not make sense because you can't necessarily, if, especially if you don't pull that equity out, like there's no real investment there. So that's one of the few chapters that I was like, I don't know, but I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of using, you know, real estate as a means of increasing your net worth. So for this, for this project, I was like, it, you know, it's his concept. I wanted to revise the language. I wanted to update the, you know, some of the, the characters and refresh it. And like I said, I wanted to make sure that the insurance piece was a little bit more clear. Um, but that one piece about making sure your home is a, a you know an investment, that's one that I know, you know, especially some folks in uh the you know the finance community might argue with a little bit. What were some of the other departures you felt like you had to make to bring this a little bit more up to date? I'm thinking of one of the chapters at the end where there's a series of emails that go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was, um, so yeah, so that was one of them again, just trying to make it more modern. So in the original, uh, in the original book, it's a bunch of letters that are going back and forth. And I was like, no one sends letters anymore. So I changed it to emails to make it a little bit more, uh, a little bit more modern, a little bit more contemporary. Um, the language, it was a lot of the language. Uh, I think the original book was written to be, I don't know, a little bit more literary fiction to have a lot more, you know, verbal flourishes that, in reading now, some people love it. And, you know, for me, I I neither loved it or hated it. It was just one of those things that it took a while to get into before you stopped noticing it, where they would say, you know, that with and, and do with and all of these, these, uh, you know, extra syllables that really add no value to the actual text. In fact, some people think, think some people think it takes away from the, the text. Like I said, when I'm reading it, uh, the original version that is it, it, takes a while for me just to get into that flow and once i'm into it I, i'm i'm there um but i know a lot of folks they have a hard time with that so i just i just stripped all of that out and i think i mentioned this as well just the characters i wanted to make sure that the cast of characters in the book um had a little bit more diversity i wanted to make sure there was you know a diversity and especially in gender in that the, the original book was written in 1926 it was definitely a more patriarchal time than we're in now I wanted to make sure that kind of got a, 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 re, a re-looking at. So make sure some of the characters were both. And just to go back a step, one of the, the reasons I love the book so much, it's not a book about, in my opinion, it's not necessarily a book about creating wealth, or it's not only a book about creating wealth. It's very much a book about sharing knowledge with people who need knowledge, which is something I resonate with, obviously. And I wanted to make sure that as I was going through that the characters, both the the teachers and the students were on both sides, whether it be, you know, on wherever it is in the book, I wanted to make sure that that was also a diverse uh, casting of characters as well. So that those are the things I think that really, you know, brought it up to a little bit more contemporary. 
How do you think the ideas relate across cultures? I mean, we're a very kind of an American-centric culture. This speaks to us. Do you think it speaks to other cultures as well? I think it would play well in almost any Western culture, any capitalist culture. Uh, it would be fine. I think, I don't know. I'd ha- I, I can only really speak to a Western culture, and that's the culture that I know best. But any culture that has uh, a capitalist society uh, where you are responsible for your wealth creation and your financial independence. If you had a system where, you know, you're going to receive a pension no matter what you do, no matter how you do it, it might not be as necessary. But in the societies that I'm in, that we're in, I should say, we're on the hook for making sure that when we're no longer able to go out and work and earn an income that way, that we are financially secure, whether that be through, you know, pensions are kind of dead, but whether that be through, you know, a direct, um, like a 401k or something like that, having uh, a story that talks about creating wealth um, and takes advantage of, you know, compounding interest and investments and making sure you're living off less than you make. Those are things that play well in any uh, any culture that leaves your financial security and financial independence on the individual. I'm interested in this idea that Clayson wrote this at a very different time than today. And I'm wondering how you think his message jibes with today's kind of recognition of social injustice, right? I mean, we have been much more aware of this idea of racism, classism, gender-based factors that really can impact how successful a person is. How do you think his message jibes with what's happening today? I mean, in a sense, anyone who's interested in personal finance or building wealth believes somewhat in, in bootstrapping, right? On some level, like you have to pick yourself up, you have to fix things. But we also realize right now where we're in the cultural zeitgeist is that there are a lot of unfairness. How do you think these messages play out today? That's a great question and an interesting one. I think, this is a tough one. I think the message of, like you said, bootstrapping or individualism, for better or for worse, is the reality of our systems. It is where we are. So whether you've uh, you know, lived through injustice, what have you, and I don't mean to downplay any injustices, whether that be structural or not. Um, we still are stuck with this system, right? When, and if we're if we're in the system, you need to find a way to maneuver within the system. I was uh, reading a book a little while ago called uh, Machiavelli for Women. It was written by the host. Uh, I don't know if she's still the host of Planet Money NPR podcast. Wonderful podcast, and the uh, Stacey Vanek Smith is the author. And in the book, this is just to make a parallel, in the book, she talks about, you know, she's talking more about um, like the income gap with regards to gender, the pay, the pay, the gender pay gap. And she talks about how to work within that system. And I, I think I liked how she said it in that she said, like, no one is justifying the system. No one thinks that uh, gender equality is something that should remain. In fact, we should all be working to minimize gender equality just as we should be working to minimize and hopefully eradicate, you know, racial equality or class equality or all of these things. Like that's something that we need to be doing actively. But we can't pretend that 
the system isn't what it is right now. So we have to live within the system as we try to change the system. So with that framework, Clayson's messages, while it doesn't talk about any of those equalities that we're just speaking about, it does give a framework and a roadmap to live within the system. So the messages still work in that you still need to. So if regardless of where you are on, you know, social economically, you still need to find a way to find how you're going to fund your, you know, your retirement, if that's what you're working towards, hopefully some type of financial independence at some point, if that's possible, maybe it's not, I hope it is for everybody, but I recognize it might not be, it might not be. But we still need to figure out how do we work within this system to get the most we can from the system as it is. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be working to, you know, fix it. When I talk to people about this idea or concept of financial independence, you know, a lot of the times I get the feedback, you know, that's great for people who have money or that's great for people who find themselves in a reasonable position, but it's not really possible for all. And I'd like to broaden that conversation to some of these lessons we learned from the richest man in Babylon. Do you think that this is generalizable to most of the American public? Like these lessons are things that most of the American public could strive towards or bring into their life. Well, and I've said this uh, on other situations, like personal finance is personal first. And if you tell me you do not have enough income or enough, uh, you know, means to live off of less than what you make, I would never, I'm not here to argue what you think is true or what isn't. I do know that if you're not living off of less than what you make, it's going to be harder and harder to move forward. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the best scenario in that situation is. Like the, do I think it's, do I think it could apply to most people? Yes, I do. Uh, because I really feel like you need to find a way to live off of less than you make. But I also recognize that for a large population, um, that's just probably not feasible. It just isn't. Uh, in that situation, you need to, but you know, part of some of Clayson's messages are about making sure that you maximize what you earn. So I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, forget about those lessons as well. But if you've set yourself up to, you know, make as much as you can, you've gained the skills that you need. Again, these are lessons and messages within Clayson's book. You've done everything you can to make yourself, uh, to put yourself in a position um to reap any opportunities that may come your way you've done that and you still don't feel like there's enough money or enough uh opportunity or enough whatever it is to live off of less than you make then yeah you're probably right this doesn't apply to that person but i think for the vast majority of uh maybe not the vast majority but i do think for the majority of people if they work on making themselves as employable as possible or seek um, opportunities that, you know, can leverage the skills that they have and they do that to their fullest. Yeah, they should be able to maybe, I don't know. It's hard for me to say, because again, like I said, it's, it's personal first, right? So it, I'm, it's hard to speak about the masses when, for something like this, but I do think there's a lot of lessons in there where they're it talks about making sure that you're, you know, you, it's not about luck. It's about making sure that you've really set yourself up to maximize the opportunities that come your way. I can speak from my lived experience. Probably that's probably the only experience I should be speaking uh, uh, speaking to. It has worked for me in that, like I feel like you know, I talked about at the beginning of the conversation how I graduated at the uh, the in the middle of one bubble 
bursting and then graduated for my second degree at the middle of another bubble bursting. But even though the bubbles burst, I still was gaining skills. I was still making myself more employable. So I was still able to find gainful employment. I was still able to make an income. Um, I've been able to leverage some of the skills that I've had. I have through working. I've leveraged some of the skills I've had through writing. So I'm able to, I again, just speaking about myself here, I've been able to leverage some of the skills that I've been able to gain to increase my income. That's not luck. That's, you know, preparation and practice and, and being a, a lifelong learner. That's again, I'm just speaking about myself here. Uh, but I, you know, that is one of the principles that's talked about within the book itself as well. So it's unlikely you wouldn't be able to find something in that book that could help you. But I, I will fully acknowledge that, you know, I'm coming from certain privileges that not everyone has. And, I'm I'm grateful for those privileges and because of those I'm where I am but I do think you know there's a lot of lessons that can be taken from this book and applied to most situations. You mentioned that you'd read this book several times before you got down to actually revising it. When you go revise a book you're actually now reading sentence by sentence. It's a much deeper dive than you probably did before. Was there anything that surprised you while you were writing and researching this revision? Did it change any of the ways you looked at some of these lessons or any of his messages? Not really. It just, you know, it kind of highlighted how we've changed. <laughs> if anything, from like 1920, like a book written in 1920, uh, read in 2020, uh, 2023 or later, it doesn't always read the same way, I'm sure. Um, so there was times going through it, like I did find the language a little jarring. Again, it's most and most of that is just gender. It was just the gender norms of the times, which you know, for me now, it's it was a little irksome. Um, but the core messages, the core stories, the core principles, no, I. Even going line by line, like this is, I, I don't think I would have done this project if I hadn't already been very much in love with the book. And I still very much love this book. Well, Clifton Corbin, I wanted to thank you very much for coming on. What I really gather from this conversation is the timelessness of these basic financial principles. And I think it's really easy for us as parents, when we're trying to teach our children to get mired in the details, and certainly it's easy for us as we mature and grow up to think it's all too difficult or it's going to take too much time or it's someone else's responsibility. But by going back to the richest man in Babylon, I think what we really see is that there are these timeless messages about money. And if we incorporate them and think them, we're much more likely to get control of our finances. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how people can reach out to you. So let's start first. What is coming up next for Clifton Corbin? Well, I've got a few things on the go. Uh, I'm working on a workbook version of Your Kids, Their Money. Um, I've had a few parents say they want to get a little deeper on the subject matter of my first book. So I'm working on that. Um, another uh, project I'm working on is taking, again, Your Kids, Their Money and trying to apply it more to young folks who might have a bit of neurodiversity, so ADHD specifically. Uh, and I'm also working on a tabletop game. So, um, you know, personal finance tabletop game. Hopefully it will make Monopoly less relevant. I'm joking about that, of course, <laughs> uh, but working on something there as well. So I'm working on that. And as far as where to find me, um, my website is probably the easiest place and that's cliftoncorbin.com. 
if you go there, as we're talking about, you know, making things simple, uh, if you go to cliftoncorbin.com slash workbook, there's a free downloadable workbook uh, for kids to, you know, do some of that early money identification. Um, there's some puzzles, there's some games, um, there's even like a little budgeting uh, activity in there for them. So it's again about those uh, those early principles it's for kids between you know grade one and grade three uh it's free to download again that's cliftoncorbin.com workbook and i think it's a great you know early activity for kids to just start getting some of that money identification and learning some of these these early financial literacy skills well the books are your kids their money as well as the richest man in babylon revised for modern times clifton corbin thank you for coming on earn and invest today it was my pleasure thank you so much for having me that's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Hey, everybody. Just another reminder, the Wealth with Purpose Mastermind slash Patreon group to support Earn and Invest is starting. Our first meeting is going to be March 30th. To learn more, go to earnandinvest.com slash mastermind. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash mastermind. Learn about the Wealth with Purpose Mastermind group where we're going to talk about the concept of enough, how do we find a life of purpose, and last but not least, what do we do when we are ready to transition out of our jobs into something we like doing more than what we're currently doing in our 9 to 5? Check us out. I'd love for you to be part of the group. Yeah, that was, I mean, I loved rereading The Richest Man in Babylon. I mean, it was just, um, yeah, it just brings you back to the center of why we do all this. I mean, you know, we've all heard this, right? There are only a few main topics in personal finance that we find just interesting, more exciting, more relatable ways to talk about them. And you can go back to Clayson and realize this guy really had it together. Well, he nailed then. it. He, he nailed it. it. And, mm-hmm. and by reading some of these enjoyable parables, we can go back to like making it all manageable. Cause I think that's the problem, right? Is it just seems so unmanageable to most people for themselves. And then when you get into teaching their children, then it even seems more unmanageable. So it was really refreshing to go back and, and read it again. Yeah. I think we, like you said, we've overcomplicated it. And then on top of that, we have this feeling like, well, it's not so much. We have this feeling we've have this culture that's told us you know money's private we don't talk about money keep that to yourself all of these things that keep money out of the discussion keep finances out of the discussion and then well then you're left trying to figure it out on your own and then you go on to you know a website or what have you and it's got all this complex jargon and all of these complicated methods of managing your money and it's like well, then you just tune out because again we have no time so yeah i agree with you just go back to the basics yeah yeah and uh, how long did it take you to revise this? Not that long, to be honest. The the challenge was just finding time where my son and I could just hang out together. Um, I got lucky. There was a few days in the in there where he just got he was sick, so we just sat outside and I just <laughs> I would do it with him. So it was a, it was kind of a blessing there. Um, I don't know, probably about two to three months for me to go through it with him, and then another little bit of time for me just to go through it on my own, and then I you know flip it to my editor. I think the ad, having my editor took the longest piece of time um just because there's a lot of quotes within quotes within quotes and it yeah, just gets really complicated yeah. really quickly so uh he took a, but that's part of the reason why i wanted a, my editor to take a look at it because i i knew i would mess that up so i was like I'll, I'll work on the words you make sure the formatting and grammar is all right
how did how cool was it for him to see his name as editor of a book? So happy. But when I told him that his name was going to be on it, he was already he was through the moon and he was he you know, he's he's 10 so he's got to play it cool, but as soon as uh, as soon as the proofs came and I was like I, I was you know, I had to look at the proof, but it's got proof written on it. And I was like uh he's like can i bring that to school i was like you don't want to wait for the final he's like no i want to bring that one to school now i was like all right bud you can you know it's yours so yeah no he's pretty excited about it but now it's not a bad thing at all but my daughter's like when are we working in our book and i was like okay well so <laughs> at some point she and i are gonna have to collaborate you've roped well. yourself but, in now so oh yeah but i'm okay with that she's she's such a creative little mind so i'm excited to see what could come out of her head yeah and it, you know it's a continuous so from my standpoint, this question of how we educate our children is just about money is is such a rich topic. I mean, I feel like people are always ready to talk about that and always lots of questions. It's a great conversation. So, I mean, I think so. Oh, I think it's, that, it's, it'll endure. Yeah, I think so. To that point, that's why I started working on this game, because I realized, you know, a book is great. Um, but if we really want to engage kids and I've, you know, I, I love recommending kids books as well i've got a bunch of recommendations on my website and i do it all the time but i think if i can get a, a game that you know parents can play with their kids monopoly is great i recommend that one all the time but i think there's a lot of stuff that's missing in monopoly that i would really like to get uh do you get know there. much about game making so it's my first it's my first uh first at bat at game making um i've got so i've, I've already got the um the prototype done i was actually just right before this i was talking to a, a friend of mine who's done i think he's done three games uh he's kind of my mentor on this whole thing and i was like i'm ready for a play test with with him now so no i'll to answer your question no i do not um but i'm always like i said i'm always trying to learn more things so tech moves fast so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. 